Leading Wild is a community of leaders who connect, learn, and grow to create the future. The Leading Wild series provides space and time for this community to gather, learn, share, and take home empowering ideas and strategies. Leading Wild is geared towards new and mid-career leaders who are deepening their leadership practice and also broadening their networks. And now, your host, Steve Vassor for Leading Wild. want to start, Mendo, with immense gratitude and Thank you for being here and for, you know, for your time. I know it's hard in Hollywood right now, you know, uh, with with the COVID and people can't get out. But I'm just grateful that you're you were willing to, you know, carve out some time to talk to us and really to an emerging group of leaders. So just a quick setup about leading wild before COVID hit. Uh, we knew that there were 52 million working age adults uh, in the U.S. who are leading or working in small to mid-sized companies and organizations. And within that group, there's a really small, special number of people who are either becoming leaders or they're acting as leaders. And they're also living out their various identities, thus the name Leading Wild. What this causes if they're leading and they are living out these identities is it causes Uh, a well-documented set of realities, challenges and opportunities that they're navigating, their leadership. So they're leading with professionalism, but they're also protecting, projecting, and sometimes packing away their full selves. And although these people are driving results, uh, anecdotally, they express the need to commune with and learn from other leaders who have generated results you know, no matter what they bring to the workplace personally. And you're one of those folks. And I'm just, you know, so glad to introduce to our audience, uh, Minda Hartz. Uh, as you may know already from, you know, her her many appearances on MSNBC, on stage, on um, and in Fast, in Fast Company, uh, Minda is an author and CEO of The Memo. She's also the owner of The Memo LLC which is a career development platform for women of color. Outside of her giving talks and really mentoring um, a legion of women and a growing uh, group of accomplished women across the country, she also has time to be an assistant professor at New York University's Wagner School. Her tweet game is fierce and undefeated. She hosts the podcast, Secure the Seat, and happens to live in New York City, Thank you, Minda, for joining us and being here. Thank you, Steve. And, I, you know, my most accomplished is that fierce tweet statement. So thank you so much for seeing me on the on the Twitter streets. I do appreciate it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I will tell you that your Twitter game, along with the memo, which I happen to have right here, and I will tell you it is a, this is my copy. My wife's copy looks like she just got it. As you'll note in my copy, I like to read and write in books, <laughs> you know, so I have questions, I have thoughts, you know, just want to tell you just uh, how grateful we are because this book and your work has inspired playlists as well as other people to take action. I've seen brothers pick up this book, men pick up the memo and try to understand and, and ask questions and appreciate the platform that you've created for women in the work, particularly women of color. And so, Minda, you know, the moment that we're in, 
what brings us together is not only leadership, but leadership in this moment of coronavirus that's taken, o- taken over the U.S. And uh, I guess the first question that I have for you, and it's, it's you know, it's just going to be a real exchange. And, and I appreciate the candor that you're going to provide. I know you're not about to hold back here. But I'd love to know, you know, how do you see this table? You know, you you often talk about bringing a seat to the table or having a seat at the table and leaning in versus leaning out. That was a major theme in the book. Leaning in when you really want to lean back like Fat Joe or just stand up and walk out (laughs) like Goro. The question for me is, you know, how do you what say you to leaders in this moment of coronavirus? around leading in this moment? Yeah, that's a great question, Steve. So we often talk about the table, or at least I do. And right now we have this unique opportunity to make the workplace better than we left it a few weeks ago. And that is, you know, we were so busy doing all the things, leaders doing all the things, making sure that, you know, all the boxes are checked, but sometimes we weren't humanizing the experience of the workplace. And I think now we get to have a moment and reflect on, how are how is everyone experiencing the workplace right now right because you have we have what five generations working together right now and everybody's at different skill sets right and so there's some patience there's some grace there's some empathy uh, that has to go in and i think the other part of that is some self-awareness right realizing that not everybody is experiencing uh covid 19 the same and then alternatively if you live in like a place like New York City, you might have 10 people in one apartment, right? So what does your workspace look like? Everybody just can't hop on Zoom and not have noise, right? (laughs) So I think we have to really take a step back. And this is where privilege, understanding our privilege, right? And those who may not have the same um, accessibility. So I think it's really key for leaders to take a step back and say, how, how is my workforce, how is the talent experiencing this situation right now? And, it's, and that's just one layer of COVID, right? Your workspace, not even is someone in your home sick, you know, all of the things. So I think it's really important that we, we talk about this because no matter what industry you're in, we're all feeling it on a baseline. And so can you, I'm interested in maybe three sort of layers, if you will, that you talked about that if I was a leader, if I was supervising a group of people or a team of people who all of a sudden went from working in the office to now working remotely, or if we didn't have work remote, some of us are are remote and some of us are in the field or hands-on, what three layers would you want them to pay attention to and what would be your recommendation in those three layers? I'm sorry if it's a little bit of a crazy question, but it's, it's getting at the how question. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first part is being aware that these, there are different layers for different people's lives, right? So for example, before I went out on my own as an entrepreneur, I did work from home. Uh, and so that was a norm for me for five years, I worked from home. But like speaking to my mother right now, she's an educator. This is her first time working from home and using Zoom and using Slack, you know, so all of the anxiety around just being at home. Uh, and then you layer on this other things. And then, so the other part of it is, understanding where everyone's skill set is, right? Because you're saying, okay, everybody get on Zoom, but have we trained everybody how to get on Zoom, right? Do they know how to use the chat box? And I think sometimes because we're in these 
arenas where we're using these technologies, we're not giving space and grace to the people who may not be used to it, right? Or say, for example, with black women or women of color, many of us go and get our hair done. We're not able to go and do that right now. So if we don't get on screen, does that penalize us for that? But if you're not thinking about how, again, how everyone's experiencing this moment, so it's that self-awareness, um, it's that empathy piece, and it's the also the other part of is asking the right questions, right? We cannot make any assumptions on what's going on right now as leaders. And I think that requires us to um, ask the questions and, you know, post not just business as usual, because it's not business as usual right now. We do have to take this human humanized approach. And if that's having, you know, the first part of your Zoom, just saying, hey, tell me what's going on. How's everybody feeling? Be honest with me in the chat box, right? And I think the other part of that is making sure our leadership is seen right? It's not just emails saying, you know, we're staying home one more week. It's like, listen, I know this is rough, right? Empathizing because the reality is not everybody might have a job come Friday, right? And they need something from you right now uh, that's going to get them to that Friday or get them to that stimulus check. So I think we really have to, it can't be business as usual right now, Steve, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And you know, what would you say to a new leader in this space? I know you have a, an opportunity to speak to leaders of all stripes and certainly of all. I mean, I, I, I ran across just as a, for instance, um, one of my one of my friends, um, you know, told me that she was sitting in a conference room. She got called into a conference room. And lo and behold, um, she was told to sit there with a couple of her other colleagues. And lo and behold, she was piped into a conversation where you were on the stage and you were in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And she said, oh, this was about to be the most boring thing I'd heard in my life. And by the time she got to the end of your talk, she was like, you know, she I, I think she probably saw Jesus and some other folks. And so <laughs> I just wonder, you know, your message to new leaders, particularly in the heat of of coronavirus, what you would say to them? So, yes, there is no manual for how to lead during COVID-19. Right? This is a space where it's very new to all of us. But I think this is the time where your leadership matters. It's not about. um shrinking in this time. Like I often tell some of the virtual conversations I've had, I say, you know what, this is your opportunity to really be a leader, to lead with empathy, to lead with grace, uh, to find those opportunities to shine a light on things that maybe you weren't able to shine a light on when we were in the traditional office setting. And so I think this is an opportunity for all of us. And I want to say leaders too, because each of us has a has a sphere of influence, right? We all have a sphere of influence. And so this is an opportunity, again, how do we want to make, how do we want to contribute to the way that the future is here, right? There's no more talk of the future of work. We are here. And what type of leader do you want to establish um, when, we, when we come on the other side of this? So I'm asking you as a new leader, um, you know, I often think about uh, the career gods, right? When, when we end our career, uh, what do you want to be said about you and your career, your leadership legacy, right? And you get to establish that right now. And so figure out how you're making it better, how you're leading um, a group of people who also have not experienced this as well. And so I think we can't pretend that we have all the answers. I think this is where vulnerability as a leader comes into play, right? Letting people know, hey, I have 
some concerns too, like, but this is where we're headed and we're in this together. I think that piece, that community building piece, Steve, is so important as a leader, right? Because we, we don't have all the answers and we see it being played out on an even national stage. Like we just want, we just want someone to lead and give us some, something we could take home at the end of the shift and, or we're at home, right? Take to the next room and be like, okay, I feel a little bit better. So I think it's really, again, humanizing the work. This is how we get to, because if we go back after COVID, we have the opportunity again, not to forget all the things that we, all the community building that we did right now, right? We have an opportunity to really make it better. And if we choose, right? If we choose. That's amazing. And I think that choice point uh, question, first of all, I appreciate the idea of a leadership legacy that, and also that the future is now. I read someone somewhere said that you get, you know, we thought we were going to be in flying cars. Um, <laughs> we thought that, you know, things were going to be different, but here we are. I still got to gas my car up, <laughs> you know, put air in the tire and hope it doesn't get towed off the street. I mean, you know, like that's where we are. It wasn't the robots that came and took over, right? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the robots. That has not happened yet, thankfully. And I think this idea of leadership legacy is, is such a beautiful one. Like, what are you leaving? And, and I also, my head now, go, my imagination goes into the classroom where you are teaching a group of new leaders at NYU, but also into these many rooms that you've been in. And so I know you've done this seven ways to Sunday. But I'm interested in maybe three, your top three tips to leaders that you have not yet shared. (laughs) That's a great question. You are challenging me as a a leader right now. But I think the, the one thing right now, especially the number one is having critical conversations, right? And I think that that's as a leader, I think at least being at NYU, I'm engaging with a lot of new leaders, right? And so one of the things that I find very that's hard for them is having direct conversations, having critical conversations and receiving. So having the conversations that need to be had. And I think leaders have to figure out how to do that. And there's a lot of tools and resources on how to have, you know, courageous conversations. But the number two part of it is being that courageous listener, right? When you ask the question to your staff, um, being able to be empathetic and listen to the things that they're saying, the feedback. And I think that we don't have these two-way conversations in the workplace. And I think about the book, The Memo, a lot of why women of color um, deal with a lot of the systemic issues is because we don't have the space to be able to say how we feel, right? We can't say it to our leadership without maybe there being some backlash. So I think that in this situation right now, we have an opportunity to create um, dialogue in a way that we haven't before. So one, being a courageous listener, um, two, having the courageous conversations that need to be had. And then number three, what are we going to do about it now that we have this information, right? Because we can have these town halls, we can have these great one-on-ones, but if there's no action steps and it goes back to the leadership legacy, um, we, how much of your talent do you want to use? And we have to ask ourselves that as leaders, but it requires us to have relationships with with our staff to know what people's strengths and what their weaknesses are and having those conversations. Because I look at anything we do as a team, you know, are we using the players that we have? And I think right now it's really easy for us as leaders to say, oh, let's just get the work done for the day and close the laptop. Um, But what about the person you haven't spoke to or you haven't had a face-to-face with, right? You know, how are they engaging 
during this time. And so I really do think it's on the leaders to engage their staff right now and to keep everyone engaged because um, professional development doesn't stop because we're at home, right? Uh, securing your seat doesn't stop because we're at home. The table, uh, you can still advance your career from wherever. And, and I just think that there is a level of opportunity. Again, the choices that we make in COVID as leaders will really dictate how the next generation experiences the workplace. Yeah, there was some great, I just want to recap what I heard. And I appreciate you going back over the list because I think there were some, you know, if I could just sample DJ Khaled and be like, maybe the key alert, this would be the spot when I drop that uh, sound bite. The first was, you know, courageous listening. And, and frankly, you started with the word receiving, which I thought was, I I was like, "Uh Oh, here we go. We're we're about to hit it. Uh, But courageous listening. So thank you for that. There's, there's a lot in those two words or in those three words being, being receptive. Um, The second is, is for folks to have courageous conversations you know, and then the last, uh, well, you started with critical conversations, but you went to courageous. I so want to dig into those, those two <laughs> distinctions. You, you, um, your autocorrect is fierce. I can't wait. To get in there. All right. And then the third was, you know, okay, so what are you going to do? Where's the action? As Redman would say, time for some action. Like, what are you going to do now that we're on the other side of all this talk and listening, receiving and transmission? How is this going to show up in real life? And I think, though, each of those deserves its own chapter in the memo part two. Nobody asked me, though, but I'm going, just going to call you it. You heard it here. There, there has to be a part two. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There has to be a part two. And so I, I would like to, speaking of which, I, I wanted to go into the memo. There is a um, passage that I wanted to read to you. Uh, of course, you wrote it, so you'll know it. But I just wanted you to, you know, Take us a little deeper into this passage, if possible. The, pa- the, the words leapt off the page to me when you wrote them. And it comes from, you know, I'm sorry, we're too close to Easter. I'm, I'm doing <laughs> chapter and verse over here. Page 12 of chapter one. <laughs> In the book of Kendrick Lamar, we're going to be yeah. all right. <laughs> that that uh, part. <laughs> and um, the, the phrase that, that stuck out to me was where you say, no one sends the black and brown community, a care package with the tools we need to thrive in a workplace that isn't designed for us to advance. And I know that it really sets up, you know, the rest of the book, Mm -hmm. but can you take me a little deeper into what you meant by those words? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, Steve, because for me, many people may not know, but I am the first person in my family to graduate from college. I'm the first person in my family to go into a corporate job, right? So I didn't have anyone who said, this is what you need to do. This is what their expectations of you are, all of those things. And so I just, it was trial by error, like many of us um, who are in those positions. And you don't realize when I entered the workforce, I thought, because I had watched the Cosby show all my life, you know, hey, you you go to college, right? And when you get out, you get to have the brownstone and you get to have all the things and life is grand. And when we get into the structure, meritocracy doesn't exist, right? You know, yes, you can work hard, you can come in late and still not get a seat at the table, still not be seen. And that's a, it's a weird juxtaposition because you're questioning yourself at this point. You're like, what am I doing wrong when you don't realize that there's this overarching theme that's happening that you don't even know about, right? And I think it's so important that we do have these conversations with our future leaders because we've done all the things that we were told get us to this place, 
right? And then not to see those things manifest. And so I think there's a frustration. And going back to leadership legacy, many of us, I think that have come before us had so much talent that went to the grave, right? They, we never got to fully absorb what some people of color had to offer because we were only able to go this far, right? And then we wonder what did we do wrong? And we question ourselves when it wasn't necessarily us. And I think that um, we have to talk about those critical things that are happening within the workplace. Otherwise, uh, again, how much of your workplace do you want to use? And unfortunately, if we're hiring people, we should want to use every last drop of talent that everybody has. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, pre- I deeply appreciate that. And then I want to take you a little deeper into the book. You know, it, it reminds me of Jay-Z's 444 quote. And sorry to be male-centric. I'm just realizing <laughs> how many men I've quoted, you know, to you. you and look I- in the book, I do that too. So we're... <laughs> I saw it, but I was like, you know, these are good. These are good quotes. They they yeah. work. And I, I just think about um, Jay Z's four forty four. When I look at page uh, seventy eight, and you know, you talk about you say in the middle of the page, I'm showing you how systemic and institutional racism mixed with office politics work. And it it, it hit me hard because it's one thing to come to work and be the professional. It's another thing to come to work with the message that you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. It's another thing to come to work and bring your full professional self and then also bring in that I am the black girl, as you, you know, as you said um, in the book, which, you know, struck me because I remember I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrasing used in workspaces. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder with all that set up, sorry, there is a question in there, your honor. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if you could take us a little deeper into that statement, the ethos of the memo, like, you know, what you hoped, what you're hoping to accomplish that this book will accomplish. And certainly that I'm hoping many other women and men uh, will pick up and run with. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking that, Steve. You know, so first I want to say, even when you look at the cover of the memo, it says what women of color, right? And it has a a photo of, uh, you know, uh, what appears to be a woman of color from the backdrop. And our unconscious bias would say that this book is only for women like me, right? It's only for us. And so part of leadership is understanding the experiences of everyone that you're working around, right? If, uh, and so it was really important, yes, to write a book in which women of color feel seen for one of the first times in a career narrative, but also our counterparts or allies, however you want to define them, um, allowing you a glimpse of what it's like to be us when we walk in through the same doors, right? And so, yes, all the things that you said, there's, but there is this office politics. So let's say you're not a woman of color. You're, you know, a black man or you're a white woman or a white male, or you identify non-binary. Yes, there's office politics that happen no matter what, right? So we all understand how that works. But when you layer racism on it, when you layer sexism, you know, gender discrimination, then you start to really understand that, oh, the workplace is not created equal because we're all not experiencing it the same way. But part of the memo was, okay, yes, these things are going on. So let's have the critical conversations, right? Let's have the courageous conversations. Let's not pretend that these things aren't going on because we know that they are, but the other part of that is, what are the tools in our toolkit to turn these politics into a partnership, right? Now knowing that this is what's going on, how do we use that? And so for me, it was, you know, I was the only one in my workplace for so many years, and 
how do I make some of these issues? How do I partner with the right people to still push my career forward? Right. So I can't just stay stuck in the fact that, yes, these are the problems, but how do I overcome them? And that's basically, you know, a journey that I take you on in the memo is here's what it's like. Solange said to be us. Right. To be us. (laughs) uh, This is really important for you to understand that, because, again, as a leader, how do you manage diverse talent if you never know them? You never get to know them. Right. You could say, oh, yeah, women in the workplace. You could say men in the workplace. But we all have a certain hierarchy of oppression in the workplace. Right. And, And that's the part that. Um, And it doesn't make you a bad person. You know, I think that's part of it. It's like we don't want to acknowledge some of these things as leaders because that means that we might be X or Y or Z, right? And that's not what it is. It's, again, how do we make the workplace better? Because in order for us to lean into our courage so that the next generation can be those direct beneficiaries of the courage, and that's why I chose to be a vulnerable leader in the memo. Right. You know, I wasn't that person in the workplace, so vulnerable. But I'm like, you know what? How do we solve problems? especially like COVID right now, how do we solve problems if we don't lead with empathy and vulnerability in some way, shape or form? That's right. That's right. No. So I, I just want to, again, thank you for this work. And certainly I, you know, as a, uh, I like to think of myself as a super fan, you know, who knew you when it was just the memo LLC and, uh, and it's grown. I just appreciate that so many more people have this platform and they've discovered you through it and also are now figuring out how to apply it in their own places. I see them on LinkedIn. I see them on Twitter, see them on Instagram. I'm just getting my Facebook game right. So I'll let you know about that. But, you know, folks are definitely feeling seen by this book and you can see it in the reviews and you can see it in this growing community, which is a beautiful thing. So before we end the, before we end, uh, I do have a curveball question for you. And that question is, you know, and I'm, I'm also going to have to twist up the question because you kind of answered it in the book. <laughs> I would like to know, uh, as a music head, your top three songs that you're listening to right now, song and artist. And you can throw an album. Uh, I've had other guests who've actually given me entire albums. They're like, bruh, this is my medicine. Um, Five <laughs> Call Quest, People Instinctive Travels. From cover to cover, you can do that if you want to as well. But your top yeah. three, you know, actually, so I've been listening to Kirk Franklin, his greatest hits, right? Because there's something about just having like some soul, some some faith uh, mixed up in that. So he has a greatest hits, and I've been listening to that um, because it just takes me back to a place where. Well, faith is never not a part of my life, but I think that there's something soothing about, you know, gospel music that at a time right now that, you know, gets me where I need to be. So Kirk Franklin's greatest hits, um, Jay-Z, um, <laughs> uh, actually Jay-Z and Kanye, although I, um, <laughs> I may get in trouble. I don't know. For, no, for, no, no trouble. No, no judgments here. Judgment um, but what I love about their collaboration album together is that it just takes you on a, on a journey. And I feel like right now in my life, I'm just on this journey. Right. And you don't know where it might take you. We might be in Paris, right? We might be, you know, like uh, we're able to, like you said, connect. Ham, you know, <laughs> <laughs> There are times in my day where I want to go ham. You know, there's like these <laughs> Kirk in the wild, you know, like there's all this stuff that kind of like I, I go through these high highs and lows throughout the day. Yeah. And then number three, um, 
I, I love me some Drake when we're talking about new kind of new era. And, and that is his take care album because he is really in his feelings. And I feel like while I'm home, I'm tapping into some new emotions. I'm tapping into some new creativity. And I think that, um, but part of that is knowing that I, I'm, I, I'm going to be okay. It, I just got to take care. Right. I got to take care uh, and stay away from texting people. You shouldn't be texting during this time, you know, like all of these, <laughs> all of these things. So, um, so yeah, those are, no, those are, the, that's the story of my lives right now. <laughs> yeah. Any texts that start late in the evening with WID, yeah. <laughs> not going to end well. That's a, that's a major key for anybody yeah. that hasn't. That major, major. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know what, Minda, thank you. This is this has been superb. I have so many more questions, but I'm hoping to save them for a part two. Um, but I also want to encourage folks to um, join your podcast and also join the memo and, and really chime into that community. We over here at Leading Wild, we see ourselves aligned to your work in a number of ways. And so uh, any way that we can be supportive, we will. Thank you for joining us at Leading Wild, a production of Leading Wild of See Further and a partnership with AIB Marketing. For more information and to join Leading Wild, please visit our website, leadingwild.com.